Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back. Thanks for joining me again. And today, a really interesting conversation with you. I am joined by Jeppe Hansgaard, and hopefully I got that correct because I have a very difficult surname to pronounce, but Jeppe is from Denmark and has similar challenges. So I'm going to tell you about Jeppe in a second, but Jeppe, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Ben. On a score out of 10, how did I go with your name? I think you were pretty close. You were very close to a 10. maybe right 9.4 great i'm happy with that i'll take it i'll take it (laughs) you you're one of the better ones thank you thank you folks uh, yepa is the ceo and founder of an amazing business called innovisor and i see them as the partner in change for bold leaders and they know what successful change requires and it requires power of networks communities and ecosystems and leaders who believe in the power of their people and Innovisor helps companies around the world do that. So we're going to dive into that in a second. But firstly, Jeppe, whereabouts are you based, just so people know where you are? So I'm based uh, right north of Copenhagen. So a very lovely place, except if you're here in the winter. (laughs) A little bit of skiing. And you have a team, I believe they're fairly international. Is that right? So I'm the only Dane in the team. Uh, Apart from that, we got many different nationalities. Uh, I like the diversity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do feel that the diversity of the team is actually what makes us good. Yeah. Um, if you can find a way to work with the diversity, right? But that's, that's, that's something we believe in. So, um, so yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Very good. Now, I want to get into Innovisor in, in a moment, but just for some context, could you share with people a little bit about your background? Yes, I can. So I have a kind of a, uh, a background where I, I started out in supply chain, supply chain management, actually. So. Mm. A supply chain, as you know, and I was doing this supply chain management for some of the, the world's biggest brands in, in kind of getting their uh, goods. So it could be T-shirts, for example, or jeans or whatever, right? All the way from Asia, from 800 different vendors in Asia into shops in Europe and the North America, right? Which is a huge mathematical yeah. problem, but it's also a network problem because you are moving these things through hops into uh, trucks and lorries and all the way into the stores on hangers and when with the yeah, prices on, right? Price tags on. So uh, extremely complex uh, mathematics and very cost-focused, in fact, as well. Yeah, and then I moved, uh, I moved from that into consulting. Um, and then, then when I, I mean, got into change management consulting, and, and then the true story is that, that in, in 2007, I was uh, at a Henley masterclass in London, a three-day masterclass. Mm. And, and on the second day, I was pretty tired. I, got, I, had, I had two kids at that time, and I was probably thinking about how I should buy them Christmas presents. <laughs> the, the professor, she brings up a slide that shows an organization as a network. So almost like the, the ways I was moving uh, goods around the world, right? And in that slide where you could see the organization network, you could see some people having more influence, more, uh, yeah, more influence than maybe even the former leaders, right? So those people were the ones that you would go to to make sense of things that were sympathetic, energizing, and whatever. And, and, and 
that just hit me because suddenly I could see, okay, so if we could find those informal leaders, right, then I could make change work. Yeah. And and then on the other side, I actually knew the mathematics behind it because I, I had been doing this in, in my past life. It's an interesting concept. I remember reading, I think it was a book, Tom Peters in Search of Excellence or something like that. But one of the little things in there was around employees, the workforce watches the leaders, they see what happens, even down to st- little stuff like who does the CEO have lunch with in, the, in the, the corporate restaurant or whatever it is. And they see these little nodes where people are gathering for the influence. And you know, so yeah, yeah that's, I find that fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Sure, but that is, that is the exactly thing that we do. And then, I mean, I moved on to consulting and then uh, built my own business, which is Innovisor which is where we work with these networks of people and find out how to engage them and mobilize them so uh, a company can be successful. Got it, got it. Now we've been talking about supply chain, logistics, hubs, Mm -hmm. nodes, mathematical formula, but where does a beer hall fit into this story? Somewhere in what, Stuttgart, I'm thinking? Yeah, yeah, so uh, that is true because where I, I mean, uh, I really was starting to work with these very big uh, companies for supply chain was in Stuttgart. And now I'm giving you a secret here, right? Because oh. you know there's a beer fest going on in Munich, right? <laughs> but that's all for tourists. If you want the real thing, you have to go to Stuttgart. Ah. So I don't know the exact numbers right now, but in in uh, when I was there, I think the the Munich one, the Munich beer fest had around half a million visitors per day. Wow. The Stuttgart one had four hundred thousand per day. So it's almost the same size, but it's where the Germans go, right? So that's that's the exact best place to go. It's it's more traditional. It's not people being dressed up and in in fancy uh, shorts or whatever. Yeah. It, it, it is it's it's the right place. It's the real so, thing. So um, you should go there. And I have been there many many times since I lived in Stuttgart in the nineties. And was there some discussion at, at one of the over a beer, perhaps, of thinking process around your business development? Oh, you, you know that as well. Maybe yeah, but actually, uh, at a certain point of time when the financial crisis hit, it, we got hit in 2009, right? I uh, decided to bring uh, my entire team to Stuttgart. You could either kind of lean back and say, okay, we're out of business, or you could do what, what we did was, and that was, um, I, I brought them all to Stuttgart, the entire team, and then... Uh, we had we had uh, some some team workshops, but above all, we connected because due to the beer fest. The beer fest kind of gave us the excuse to have fun together, mm-hmm. and fun actually connects people. It releases oxytocin in your body, which is a kind of the the hormone that you need to kind of move together, right? So so that's actually a trick. I, I still use that. So um, so very soon here in May, we will take the entire team to Italy uh, to do what we call a pop up office. And we go, we go there for three days to, to have fun together, uh, drink red wine, but of course also strategize. Very clever. And you mentioned in your consulting days on the supply chain side of things, but moving into the change management, that fun, that interaction, those elements just crucial. I mean, yes, you can implement a new piece of technology and connect the bits together, but they won't work unless everyone else is pushing it forward and really enthusiastic and driving it. So yeah, I, I love that. And the pop-up office, that's a great concept. Can I turn then to the, the business itself? What exactly does Innovisor do and for whom? Yeah, so so we have, um, our clients are, come from all over the world. We're not really in the public sector, but apart from that, we work with companies all over the world. We work with the top 40% of pharma, top 40% of energy, top 40% of manufacturing, and so forth. 
Um, and um, and what we see is that uh, they come to us when they have complex change management issues. If they want to go through, uh, so one of the popular things right now is how can we make our organization more customer centric? That is probably the the primary thing that is happening mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. And when the executives think about that, they know they need to get their people on board with this. Not only the people at the front line, but the entire organization. We then find out what they should do. So, so I always say we need to be able to respond to two questions. One question is, so what is our probability of succeeding with this change? And second question is, okay, what can we do to improve that probability uh, dramatically? And that's what we do. And, and we found out that there are six levels of a successful change. And those six levels are the ones that we are looking at. One of them, which is obvious, right? It is how how well is your leadership team working together as one? And it's such an obvious thing, but it's just not happening very often, right? And and another thing is okay. So if you look at your key stakeholder groups, and we have we have multiple stakeholder groups that are important, but we have actually two that are more important than others. Again, the leaders, of course, but then we got a group of people. It's about 3% of the employees employees that typically drive the perceptions of up to 90% of their colleagues in these informal networks. So that group of employees, we need to get them on board with it, right? If they're negative about what you're going to do with the customer centricity activity, uh, initiative, you're going to fail. Uh, so, so finding a way to kind of listening to them, inviting them into conversations, uh, co-creating with them, turning them into insiders, that is really the key trick to uh, to change. Okay. I was wondering how you do that. Maybe I've seen too many spy movies, but I was thinking that you bundle this 3% off into a car and tell them you have to start being super committed and influence everyone else. But it's around drawing them in, getting them involved in that almost creative process of making change. Is that right? And, and, and they have to, I mean, you cannot tell them you have to do this, right? You have to yeah. do it in, in, in a more, I, I call it massaging it in. Yeah. Um, a question around that one then, because um, I've had those conversations over the years. Uh, and one thing, one objection that you will hear back from them is, oh, here we go again. The CEO has just been off at some conference and has, has thought, let's do some new change initiative. And yeah, I know I'm influential here, but don't ask me for that. So actually, uh, the thing is that most of the people that we identified don't even know that they're influential. And there are a couple of reasons why they don't know it, uh, because uh, I, I can tell you one of the traits that we, a couple of traits that we actually see. People have this perception that uh, the very influential employees will be extroverts, that they will be tenured, and then they will be uh, experts. Mm. And that is just not true. Mm. Um, they are actually very often a bit more introverted. Uh, they, I mean, ten, your, your tenure is typically totally irrelevant because the influence travels within what I call tenure bands. So, so your influence is typically on the people that you've joined the company together with. Interesting. And, and the expertise, not relevant. It's more about how sympathetic you are, how compassionate you are, how trustworthy you are, huh. how warm maybe even. That's interesting. So, so uh, if I look back, for example, in, in, when we started out, I often did a quiz with the top executives, even in smaller companies, and I asked them, so who do you think your most influential employees are? And then they would write down a list of names on a piece of paper. We put it into an envelope, and then we opened it when we were done. 
And then, uh, I mean, to this date, nobody has guessed who their most influential employees are. Really? So it is, it is invisible to people. And I think I can actually explain why it's invisible. It's because the view you have out in your organization is based on your own perceptions. And you can maybe see, I would, I would guess, five to 10 people out where you actually know what is driving their decisions, their way of thinking, et cetera. But that's the maximum. Mm. That's very interesting. And World Economic Forum or something like that, which has been doing so much research on the future of work and the way roles will change and the rise of AI and all sorts of stuff and certain jobs will disappear. But what you've described there are, are roles that cannot be necessarily replaced by machinery and algorithms, isn't it? It's, I mean, those hidden influences. The social glue. The social glue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, no, no. So it, and it's, it's some of the things that we've actually done a lot of research on because we... I mean, two of the things we work a lot with right now, you have the great resignation, you've probably heard mm. about it, mm. uh, is uh, first of all, who should we retain? Because if those really uh, socially intelligent people or whatever you would call them, if they leave the company, yeah. we've actually measured that, uh, that uh, the, the probability of other people leaving in their proximity networks, right, increases by up to 500%. And we all know those stories, right? So if one person leaves, then suddenly the whole department the whole is disappears. Whole team disappears, right? yeah. Yeah. But it all goes down to that one person. So, wow. so what you as a company want to do is that you want to make sure you build something that retains that person, right? Yeah. The other thing is, so now you're actually getting a lot of new people into the organization. So what do you want to do? Uh, you want to have the maximum uh, or the shortest time to value add that you can get to. So what do you do? You build a, like an onboarding program, the first 14 days, and that's it. You might introduce a new person to a, to a team member and, and a body in the team, but that's not really what makes people value adding, right? They need to know the, 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 the hidden networks, the voice of the people. Who is it that they should go to when they face a critical problem? So the other thing you can do is actually finding out, so who are those people that they should go to for different expertises? And then, it, I mean, make it more transparent, make sure that people know who it is, get them introduced. Well, that has a hidden or side benefit of the influencer or influential person will feel better, more important, valued. Valued is probably the word. Mm -hmm. So they're more likely to stay, more likely to contribute more, all that kind of stuff, as opposed to, we all know what the typical onboarding process is, go and speak to the different managers of a department. Yeah, you have to book the meeting yourself. You can find a spot in their calendar. So that is, I mean, we, we use this for many different things, right? So if it's an executive that is being onboarded to an organization, for example, yep. who is it that they should talk to? They normally get to talk to, um, yeah, other executives. But, but where do they really understand what is happening at the front line or out there in the organization, right? Who is it that they should bump into in the, in the corridors or on Zoom, for that sake? Uh, to get an understanding of what is going on. And, and, and it's those people. Nice. You described meeting customer needs or improving that focus, but what are the typical use cases or scenarios or pain points that bring client companies to you to fix? Because innovation, change management, it's such a broad area. What are the pain points that you would typically address? So my sense is that the executives that come to us, they come to us because they, they have this understanding that they need to mobilize the organization if they want to be successful. 
So typically they have a track record of failed change and they know it. Mm-hmm. And then they're looking for a different way of engaging with the organization. And that's where we come into the picture because if you have that understanding of how people relate to each other, who they find sympathetic, who gives them energy, who do they go to to stretch their thinking and so forth. And suddenly you understand, okay, who is it that we need to, to engage with? And, and that is the insight we give them. The second thing we give them is that we then track their ability to move people's perceptions over time. And we don't look at the entire organization. So we're not doing an engagement survey. We know it's these three percent that I talked about before. They drive the perceptions. We don't need to look at anyone else. We just look at the 3% and say, so have you mobilized and engaged them? Have you succeeded in in, in changing their uh, perceptions and emotions and commitments to what you're trying to achieve? In terms of a typical engagement, what would that look like for a company that's trying to address these sort of challenges? So um, I can tell you when we get these uh, requests, they typically want the answer yesterday. (laughs) So, so, so this is where the supply chain part in me comes in, right? So we have done everything to squeeze every little activity out of there. So it goes extremely fast. So, so uh, for example, yesterday, we just delivered uh, the action plan to a client. And, and uh, that was, let me just check the date, 27 days after we actually made the proposal. And probably 24 days after we got the acceptance. So, so, so we do this extremely fast. That's really important. Yeah, and it is important, right? And and you know as well as I do, executives they have no patience, <laughs> <laughs> and they shouldn't have. I mean, if if you want the answer, you should have the answer really fast, right? Um, so that that's that's the engagement, the way it looks. Uh, we sometimes do this as an entire organization. That's the one we did yesterday. Mm-hmm. In other cases, we look at team level. So. Mm-hmm. 50 people, even at 50 people, the informal networks matter. Uh, 150 or a function, right? And it can be multiple locations. It can be one location. It can be a a community across the organization or whatever. So every single time you think it's about people connecting and networking with each other, that's where we get into the picture. Yeah, nice. Um, For people listening to this, I just think it's so important to pick up on that point there of trying to almost strip out the pain points in the process. I mean, a supply chain, it's all about how can you get somewhere, something mm-hmm. somewhere else faster and at, yeah. at cost or lower cost. So how do you strip out pain points that make it more efficient? And you think, well, that's not really around the quality of service, but it is because there's a bigger picture. The CEO or the executive mm-hmm. has their own, the board isn't sitting there telling them, oh, look, take all the time you need. There's no, no. rush with any of this. Relax. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, it's not just about the service itself. There's, there's the delivery of it as well. And, and I can actually tell you that is also the reason why we track the perceptions afterwards and we, uh, we give something away for, for free. We know that the successful clients, they actually work with the data right afterwards. Yes. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and I sometimes, uh, I have an analogy of the, the Weight Watchers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never engaged myself with Weight Watchers, but what they do is, right, they, they tell you we will measure your weight every 14 days. And that's basically the concept. They all, I mean, they also give you a, a diet and, and whatever, right? But oh, measuring your every 14 days, you make people do what you're trying and telling them. Yeah. And we do the same. We measure every two months how are people doing. Are they, are they 
are they working with the, the informal organization or not? SaaS companies, HR tech companies, that's a big thing for them. They want people to log in quickly and actually click a few things and do a few things yeah. quite quickly so that they start to get embedded into it. If I take you onto the question of finding the clients for failed change projects, so you can't just stick up a Google ads campaign and if someone types in the word failed change management program and then your ad appears, you can't do that. That's not going to yeah. work. Yeah. How do you find clients that meet these use case pain point scenario problems that you can address? It's a good question. Um, <clears throat> we decided uh, three, four years ago that our approach would be social selling. Mm-hmm. And social selling means that we want the clients to come to us. Nice. So rather than building a huge uh, group of salespeople from all over the world, uh, getting in contact with clients, cold calling and whatever, we said what we need to do instead is that we need to invest in building the trust of us in us. So, so, so I got a group of people writing cases, publishing data and so forth on social media, on different channels, making sure we get into uh, books, we write articles, etc. And that kind of generates some attention. The other thing we do is that we, when we have clients, we always ask them, so who can you put us in contact with? And the second thing we ask them is, um, is it okay if we use you as a referral or a testimonial, or are you even interested in, in, mm. in doing a video with us? Um, and, and we have extremely high rates of people that are actually saying yes to that because uh, we're trying to deliver for them and they, they feel it. Yeah. I think from their perspective, it does make them look good because they're being a proactive leader that wants to make positive change in an organization, for people reasons and for ROI reasons. And so, yeah, yeah, it's good for their own personal brand, their career development. I think so. That's smart. Yeah, we should help them with building that personal brand, right? And and we know that. that Um, When you ask the the clients for referrals, let's say, uh, at the most base level, that's what it is. At what point do you ask them? After. After we finish, delivered. yeah, yeah, no. So it's always after, so they know what we're delivering. Yes, uh, and I think that's the only fair way to do it. Um, yeah. At the point where they're really happy with what we have helped them with, right? Then that's the point where they think, okay, but I actually know this person over here that I would actually recommend you to. Nice. And you have so much content, resources, such as the articles and I think webinars, podcasts, and so on. Do you see some sort of research life cycle journey of someone who's thinking about engaging you? Because as we all know, people do all the research online and check out the business first before getting in touch. Do you see a certain pattern in what they consume before getting in touch? Um, We know that they start out on social media and then somehow they end up on our uh, website. They, They kind of walk around, they might be even going to a conference and they talk to some other people, they hear about us. Mm. And that's normally the point where they decide to reach out to us. Yeah. So, so at the point where another person says, yeah, you should go to Innovisor, mm-hmm. that's where they reach out to us. We then get a, a contact in our contact, uh, yeah, any kind of contact. They can come through uh, LinkedIn or Twitter or, even uh, yeah just on the website right sure we okay. then have the the challenge that we need to react very fast speed okay yeah so if you're not getting back in touch with them within two days they're, they're typically lost 
at least we can see a higher dropout rate. So, so, so it's important for us that we build an engine for getting in contact with people that narrows that period down, right? Yeah. And then it's about how do we then move them through the sales cycle? And then uh, we have a very short time frame actually uh, where we do that. Because the, the key issue is we need to be in their minds when they face that challenge that they don't know how to work with. Because that's the exact time where they should reach out to us. Yeah, absolutely. And while we're looking at getting clients and referrals and things, for someone listening to this, what is your ideal client in case they are already dealing with them as a, a non-competing HR-related business, whatever that may be? So I got three uh, ideal clients, mm-hmm. actually, and two of them are more ideal than the, the other one. <laughs> so let me take the first one. The first one is the HR director. Uh, I have the sense that when it's the HR director reaching out to us, they always have to ask somebody else for approval. It's very seldom that they can actually approve anything. So that's that's the one we have them, but it's not my ideal client. Then the two other ones is either the top executive or an executive because they got the budget, they got the challenge, they know if they don't do this, they will not succeed. And they reach out and they take the decision, right? That kind of um, client, right, we can we can help enormously within a very short time frame. And the same thing goes for the third one, which is a, a person that has been put in charge of some kind of large-scale transformation, like building an organization that is more customer-centric in Japan or whatever. Yeah. And they're usually the trouble fixer in the company, aren't they? They've been going from project to project. The CEO moves them from thing to thing to solve. Yeah. And, and they know that if they don't get the right people on board, they're not going to succeed. And that's actually a really great persona, let's say, to be connected with because that's what they obviously enjoy doing. They're good at doing. They'll keep doing projects like that. Yeah. If you work with them and connected with them, they'll use you for other stuff. And if they leave the company, they'll they bring you with them. Still. Yeah. Okay. That's really good. Really good. Yeah. So so, so those those people, right? And then if you say, I, I talked about the influential people that we find, mm-hmm. but that's actually another breed of people they would like to know always, which is what I call the early adopters. Yeah. So, so, and we know that for marketing, right? But who will be the first ones to adopt this change that we are facing? If you can engage that group of people, so you get traction on your change, that's a small, small group of people, but so important. And we find those as well. Absolutely. Second last question then is, what's your advice to other founders, CEOs of businesses in the HR sector on how they should grow and become a better business? So, so I think the biggest learning for me is um, it's two things, right? Um, but they almost almost relate to each other. I think the biggest learning is uh, it's your clients that will enable you to grow. So building that, being a, being aware of how you build your client community, and and that is that is the most important thing to me. Mm-hmm. In my client community, I can always ask someone to stand up as a referral. That makes the sales so much easier. Um, yeah, what do you so mean that, by community? Community? How do you mean? Do you yeah, mean so, so in a my bunch com- of companies in, in a CRM, or do you mean something different? What do you mean by community? So, so my community, I mean, uh, we nurture uh, a community of old clients that can actually work together on issues. Nice. They can ask each other for help, and and we're just sitting there in the center as a spider in the web, right? <laughs> Uh, Do you actually get them together or is it all, all online? No, it's online. We, we but, use, 
pre pre uh, covid we did get them together but but what i mean is it's an event whether it's online or in person you actually get them in a room or on on a call yeah it's not just a little chat box or something like that no 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 we get them together to discuss issues Brilliant. and also to find out okay what do you think is interesting what would be important to look into in the future right that's added value for the clients as well enormous added value so yeah. that that's that i think that is that is something you need to do yeah. the community right yeah the other thing I think you need to do is always focus on quality, because if you don't deliver quality, your reputation will be hurt. And it, I mean, it doesn't really matter with the cost. Uh, mm. No matter what you get for it, always deliver quality. I tell my people that they should remember that their name is on the list here, right? So the client will remember the name. It was Ben doing it. It was Yeba doing it, right? Mm. They will not remember what company you come from. So, so they should always deliver the highest possible quality they can can do because it's their reputation that's on the line. Yeah, just so important. Uh, and like we were talking about earlier, that even that speed element that that's connected to the quality. It's not just around how the product is or um, well, the, the outcomes and so on. It's the delivery side of it as well that all rolls in. Um, so then, finally, you, you see so much change. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the, the future of, of HR or the world of work? I, th- I think uh, the, the future of work is going to be, uh, so a lot of us are talking about hybrid and remote and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's really about hybrid and remote. I think it's about how do you bring people together to, to, to perform? Uh, how do you bring the right people together to perform? And, and the way you then do it, if it's hybrid, remote, or in, I mean, it doesn't really matter. You just need to bring the right people together. And, and to me, it's a lot about uh, inclusion. It's about belonging. It's about making sure that, uh, that people have a place where they can share ideas and be creative together. And, and then personally, I believe people will deliver. But you need to trust them. Mm. And what I see in our data is... Uh, I see, I see hierarchies. I actually think hierarchies are needed. Mm-hmm. I'm not a believer in, in like 100% flat organizations. Not fair, yeah. But I do believe that uh, people should have the ability to take decisions. So they have, should have guiding principles. They should have mandates. They should be able to move forward. There's a lot of leadership in this. There's a lot of communication in this. But there's also a lot of passion and, and, and purpose in it. And, and, and I think actually one thing I discussed uh, this morning here was that we see something in Denmark with ethics being important. And I think it has just, I mean, it has just been the, the importance of ethics now with the invasion of uh, Ukraine, et cetera, mm. has just been growing tremendously. And I actually like that development. Yeah. I think it was needed. And, and, and I'm not sure how it is in Ireland, but I can tell you in Denmark we have a list of companies that are still engaged in Russia and uh, they have a hard time now explaining why are we engaged in Russia. Just blows my mind. Yeah. It's, it's how they can still be doing it. Yeah. It but yeah, great. you're right. It's a, it's a, a kick up the backside for, for certain companies or, or for cultures anyway, to re-engage with the, their ethics and look forward. Yeah, and, the, and the world is so transparent, right? We got yeah. social media. So if you're not, if you're not acting in an ethical yeah. way people will know it immediately yeah and i mean it, it's so obvious 
So you should take care of your employees, right? You should take care of, of your stakeholders, your, your ecosystem and your alignment. You should be a good citizen. Absolutely. It's so important. And you cannot maximize profit only, right? So that's yeah. the other thing. You, you, need, you need to primarily to take care of people. Yeah, but if people want to learn more about Innovisa, what should they do next? Yeah, they can do a couple of things, right? They can visit our website. That's a good place to look for resources. There's a resources section where you can see what books we've been in, the articles, etc. You can also see the cases. We do a lot of, of sharing, actually, of sharing content. Uh, the other thing they can do is that they can click follow on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, we have a company profile that's pretty active. We share uh, cases, articles, and stuff almost every single day. And the last thing they can do, they're really welcome to connect with me on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter. Yeah, that's probably the two best ones. Excellent. All right. So folks, if you're listening to this on the go, check the show notes and we'll have the company details for the website and the LinkedIn profile and the same for Yepe for LinkedIn and Twitter. So Yepe, thank you very much for sharing your story. It's fascinating and I love what you're doing and I wish you all the best for it. Thank you. And promise me to go to Stuttgart. I'll see you there. Very good. That's good. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.